It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life brings you interviews with some of the most inspirational and influential people in the world. It's our goal to educate and empower you so you can live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. We have another great show for you today. At age 21, today's guest, Janelle Hanchik, got pregnant. After giving birth, the pressure of being a good mom, alongside a feeling of being trapped and unfulfilled, became too much, and she turned to alcohol and drugs for relief and meaning. For 10 years, Janelle grappled with the progression of addiction, bouncing from rehab to rock bottom to therapy in her quest for sobriety. She joins us today to share her story of a recovery she never imagined possible. Janelle is the author of the book, I'm Just Happy to Be Here, a memoir of renegade mothering. Welcome, Janelle. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you. So, Janelle, when you were 21 years old, you got pregnant and you had only known the father for about three months. Tell us about your relationship and what was your life like at that time? Well, I was a senior in college, and I had just gotten back from studying abroad for a year in Spain, Um, and I live here in Northern California, and that's where I went to college as well, and I met a man named Mac, and we were drinking and partying a lot, Um, and I found myself pregnant, Mm -hmm. and... uh, we so we we liked each other a lot, but he was right. nineteen and I was twenty one, and mm-hmm. so um, that's how that happened. And I uh, I decided to you know take on that responsibility and face that, and we just went forward with it. So we were friends and we were we liked each other a lot, but we didn't really know each other. Let's be honest. Did you know? <laughs> did you well. get married or did you raise the child on your own? We did get married. We got married after our child was born about a month later. Yeah. So she was born in November 2001, and we got married in December. You know, being a mom under the best of circumstances is a challenge. So this must have been extremely difficult for you. When did you begin to self-medicate? Well, you know, I had always been a little overzealous, I suppose we could say, in the drinking department, um, but it was a little more, I suppose, acceptable if such a thing really exists. Um, You know, when you're young and in college and whatever, kind of everyone is doing it type thing. And so I think, but my drinking shifted from something I was doing kind of for fun on the weekends to more of, as you say, a self-medication of grappling with, after she was born, grappling with the identity crisis and the shift suddenly from, you know, an independent person to a young person with a baby. It was kind of a baby with a baby type situation. And we were living with his parents and I kind of felt all my dreams or um, ideas that I had as a person and individual kind of dissipate rather Mm -hmm. rapidly, you know. Mm -hmm. And when did you realize that this was a problem for you? 
When she was about a year old was when I we moved out of his parents' house. Um, I stayed home with her for a year. I went through postpartum depression with her. I got treated, and I kind of came out of the funk. And I got a little job at a law firm as a receptionist, and we got a little house together. And that was when I realized, started realizing I had a problem because I no longer had circumstances so much to blame. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of said, oh, I'm fine because, you know, I'm living in this house with his family and I hate it or I had all these sort of excuses and then right. those were gone and it was time to just be a regular mom and I would try not to drink each day and then each day I would find myself drinking. And that was when I really started examining you know, wondering what was wrong with me. My father was an alcoholic. He's sober now, but he was gone most of my childhood from alcoholism. Mm -hmm. So I knew about the disease and I knew um, that I was playing with fire, but that was the first time it occurred to me. That was the first time I made a sort of concentrated effort to stop drinking and I and I found myself unable to do so. Now, yeah. you went into, you, you attempted recovery multiple times. And what would happen each time? You would go in and, and then you would seek treatment. You'd come out. How would you relapse? How long would that be in between? Well, I would, you know, I would have some sort of disaster. And, um, you know, I went, I went down rather quickly. I think I started, you know, I also uh, started using drugs. Mm-hmm. And um, I would start drinking and then I would get drugs. And... So I would go into rehab completely ready to get sober and completely devoted, and I would participate in all the groups and do all the work, and I would come out, and I would be very committed to recovery, but over time, I mean, whether it was a a week, I think one time it was only a week, Mm -hmm. Uh, other times it was six months, I think I made it one time, maybe um, a month, I just had this internal unrest that would drive me to the drink. And what what would go on in my mind was I would say to myself, it's okay this time, you're going to drink differently. You know, you really learned your lesson this time, Janelle. And, And I would, and I now understand that that's the mental disease, the mental component of the disease of alcoholism, that your mind lies to you and tells you that it's going to be different this time. And but I didn't understand that, and I was identifying with these thoughts as as a reliable guide for my life. Right. And so I was really convinced that I had learned my lesson, and I wasn't going to do that again, and I was going to, you know, drink responsibly. And I would take that drink and find myself back in the same cycle really quickly, which is a baffling experience for an alcoholic. I mean, for anyone, but, right. yeah. Well, you know, what changed the final time? What did you learn that enabled you to get clean and stay clean? Well, it was a it was a few factors. Um, I my mother took my children in two thousand seven. I had two children at that point: a fourteen month old son and a five year old daughter. And um, I was separated from them for about two years. And during those two years, I was in and out of rehab. I went to a an outpatient mental institution. I lost my job, um, lost my home, and I really sort of tanked. And what ended up happening over those two years is that the relief that alcohol used to bring me stopped coming. It stops mm-hmm. working. You know, any drug that you abuse eventually stops bringing you the 
the internal relief that I was mentioning earlier. And then you just end up chasing some memory of, of something it used to bring. And, um, and on March 5th of 2009, I was in my mom's house and something shifted inside of me where I realized that I was really powerless over alcohol and that I really needed help. And it was sort of that sense of surrender and humility that mm-hmm. allowed me to become teachable. And I went back to the same 12-step meetings that I'd been going to for two years and unable to get sober. And I met a teacher there who explained to me um, that there's a, that um, alcoholism is a disease of the mind and body and that it has to get treated. And he helped me learn um, how to recover. So it was interesting. I had tried a lot of psychology and and um, psychiatry and a lot of self-help type stuff. And and it would help a little, but um, I mean, ultimately it was self-help that helped me as well. But because I was using my mind <laughs> and my mind was the problem, I wasn't making a whole lot of progress. Mm-hmm. And so I, I ended up getting sober on, on mostly spiritual grounds and 12-step meetings. Yeah. Well, you know, listening to you, I'm hearing you as another mother because I can't even imagine what you experienced because as moms we think we have to be perfect and to have that realization that you're not and then to be going through something that you know is harming a child that's the worst thing that a mother ever wants to do so what advice do you offer to moms whether they're experiencing addiction or not we're still going through the same underlying issues so what do you offer to us to help us get through this crazy thing we call motherhood? Well, I think I would say, first of all, that you aren't alone. I mean, I think that there's this story about this sanctimony of motherhood that as soon as we become mothers, we are suddenly transformed into these really pristine versions of ourselves, (laughs) which, you know, is a really nice thought. But um, I think all of us have something that that we hold on to, um, you know, a character flaw or, or a habit um, and I think, you know, we lie down at night and I think we wonder, am I the only one, you know, am I the only one who yells this much? Am I the only one who is kind of bored by motherhood or feeling pretty erased? And, and I would say that, that you're not. And that, um, I think that, that we, we can pull through and be amazing parents for our children without that, that pristine polish and the pretending, you know, I've, I've found a lot of freedom and honesty with my family and making amends and repairing the damage. And, um, and I think that we all, if we get to the place where we can really try to find some peace in that imperfection, I think things really come alive for us and we can let go of some of that guilt and shame, you know, because it really is just a story that we become better versions of ourselves, you know, the day we have children. We don't necessarily always do that. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it was, I had to really learn how to deal with a lot of shame and a lot of guilt, yeah. The book is I'm Just Happy to Be Here, a memoir of renegade mothering. If you'd like to get more information about Janelle and her work, you can visit renegademothering.com. Janelle, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Oh, let's see. I think I would, I would just like to say that, you know, we're, we're doing a great job. Ultimately, most of us are doing the best we can. I mean, we're doing the best we can with what we have at the time. And I I think I want to say that that's enough. Yeah. 
That's enough. I totally agree. You know, thank you so much for sharing your journey. Your courage and your honesty will definitely inspire someone to take the step forward to lasting change. So thank you for being brave. Thank you for being here. And thank you for sharing with us. Thank you so much for having me. This is Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Hi, this is Joan Herman, host of Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life has a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life 24-7. Visit CYACYL.com. And be sure to tell your friends. Do you worry about what goes on in your child's head? Do you wonder if what's on the inside matches what you see on the outside? Hi, I'm Renee Jensen, founder of My Time Out, an organization and community that supports positive mental health and wellness among mothers. Like adults, children can put on a brave face to mask what they are really feeling in their heart, mind, and soul. As parents, we do our best to protect them and to keep them happy. Often, this may not be enough. Whether we like it or not, our children are exposed to the outside world. Do you remember when you were a child or a teen? Did you experience feelings of insecurity or anxiety? Our children struggle with living up to high expectations, social rejection, body image issues, grade performance, relationships. Nowadays, social media and social apps are making it that much harder for parents to have control. Be present. I know we get busy and distracted, but be mindful of your child's behavior. Be involved. Listen. Not only when they are speaking directly to you or to others, but how they speak about themselves. Communicate. Find out how they are feeling and talk to them about it. If they are struggling, give them the tools to handle life situations on their own. Act. If your child appears depressed or anxious on a regular basis, don't just ignore it. As adults, we need help sometimes. Kids do too. Seek out counseling. Sometimes we as parents can't fix everything. For more mommy tips, visit MyTimeOut.com or on Facebook at LLC. Time management is a challenge for many people. There is so much to do and not enough time to do it. Add a brain-based challenge like ADHD to the mix and life can feel like a tangled ball of yarn. Hi, I'm Gail Gruenberg, CPOCD, Chief Executive Organizer of Let's Get Organized. As a professional organizing firm, we help clients organize their lives as well as their homes. People with ADHD are often stumped by why they procrastinate, are constantly late, and never seem to get things done. 
Dr. Tamara Rosier of the ADHD Center of West Michigan has found that people with ADHD rate an activity on the basis of whether it's fun or not fun and if it provides low or high emotional stimulation. She created a model that reframes time and energy for people with ADHD by using color-coded quadrants to indicate where an activity falls on the fun and emotional stimulation scales. People with ADHD can visually identify why certain tasks put them to sleep versus making them feel like they've been shot out of a cannon. They can use this information to learn how to motivate themselves to get the boring tasks done while not getting hyper-focused on those that make their adrenaline soar. Are you fed up with feeling behind the eight ball when it comes to managing your time? I'm Gail Gruenberg, and I can help bridge the gap between to-do and done. Call me at 201-364-6833 or visit my website at lgorganized.com. today is Dr. Lorraine Maida, a functional and integrative medicine physician who practices anti-aging medicine, executive health, hormone replacement therapy, and weight management. She's the author of Vibrance for Life, How to Live Younger and Healthier. Dr. Maida is here today to discuss autoimmune disorders. Welcome, Dr. Maida. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Joan. So, Doctor, we are hearing so much about autoimmune disease. Why is that the case? What is it? Well, you know, I, I don't think people are aware that autoimmune disease is the number one cause of suffering in North American women. And what it is, it's your own immune system that attacks and damages different parts of your body. For example, Hashimoto's antibodies are supposed to fight infection. Instead, they attack and damage your thyroid. And in celiac disease, they attack and damage your gut lining. In rheumatoid arthritis, it's your joints. In MS, it's the myelin sheath around your nerves. In lupus, it could be your skin, your kidneys, your eyes, and so on and so forth. There are absolutely hundreds of autoimmune disorders. And they typically develop over several years before they even become symptomatic. But once symptoms start, then the patients are tossed around like a hot potato because they're generally vague. And the medical system, you know, you're not in tune to measure these antibodies until something becomes very prominent. And the end effect of autoimmune disease it requires a much deeper investigation because once they're diagnosed, the patients are usually offered steroids or very expensive, toxic, immunosuppressive drugs. And this can actually lead to more significant problems like cancer down the road and cost several thousand dollars a month. But there are different ways of treating it. So doctor, if autoimmune diseases take several years to develop, what is it that triggers them then to cause problems? Some people start with a genetic predisposition to developing it, but that doesn't mean they're going to develop it. It's like having a loaded gun and you need to pull the trigger. The things that pull the trigger are things like chronic stress, because chronic stress can lead to leaky gut. Chemical and food sensitivities can cause a leaky gut, poor nutrition, stealth infections, medications, all of these things can break the gut barrier and increase permeability, and that's what they call leaky gut. It's not a really good technical term, but that's the term that's tossed around. But all of these things, any one or two of these things can trigger an autoimmune response, and once the immune system gets activated, it's hard to calm it down. 
How are autoimmune diseases treated? Well, there's a traditional approach that's going to use drugs that suppress the immune system, like prednisone or stronger drugs that cost thousands of dollars a month. But the functional medicine approach is a little bit different. It addresses the root cause. So because stress is a big factor, you want to manage your stress. Another big factor is our food sensitivity. So we usually try an autoimmune type diet and try to uncover food sensitivities, toxins like herbicides, pesticides, heavy metals, uh, contaminants in the environment and the chemicals that we're exposed to can also trigger it. So we help the liver remove toxins with herbs and eating organic, eliminating uh, cleaning products that have toxic chemicals and same thing with personal care products. And we teach people how to remove things from their diet and reintroduce it. We add nutrients that help repair and heal the gut. And, you know, sometimes this can be very, very overwhelming for people. So I have a support team at the, my Vibrance for Life Wellness Institute, and we take a team approach to help people manage all of these things so that they never need medication and they never progress to a point where they're disabled by their illness. Dr. Maida, thank you so much for being here with us today. If you would like to learn more about autoimmune disorders or about Dr. Maida and her center, you can visit howtoliveyounger.com. And as always, to hear more from Dr. Maida, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com forward slash Lorraine. We'll be right back. So I've got a great message for you today, and it's about stress. Stress is an essence of life, and it doesn't have to be distress. I'm Dr. Michael Magwood. I am a chiropractor, and we specialize in how people respond to stress, naturally by maintenance of ease in the spine and nervous system. When you think about your body under distress, at what rate do you breathe? Believe it or not, when testing patients, we found that the average person under stress was breathing 20 and even 30 breaths per minute. Eight to 12 breaths is normal. We can't live like this. It affects our blood chemistry, our entire acidity in the body. It affects every organ system that we have. So what we do in our office, we teach and train people to behave differently so that they can adapt better to the stresses that get them down. Come and meet me and let's do a stress test for you. Let's find out just how efficient or inefficient your breathing is. And guess what? You're gonna correct your body's response to stress. I'm Dr. Michael Magwood and I'm a chiropractor attending to stress in the nervous system. Find us at purebalancecenter.com and ask us about our locations in Clifton, New Jersey and in New York City. One of the most common questions buyers have when purchasing their first home is whether or not they should make a large down payment. With the large number of mortgage programs available that allow buyers to purchase homes with down payments for as low as 3.5%, it's important to know your options and the effects of each in order to make an educated decision. Hi, my name is Danielle Grossman from Experience Real Estate with Keller Williams Realty. Here to discuss what you should consider when deciding how much you wanna put down when purchasing your home. I'm sure we can all agree that having to come out of pocket a bit less when purchasing a home certainly does sound like the more desirable decision. However, if you choose to put less than 20% down, you'll have to pay private mortgage insurance. PMI is essentially a monthly fee rolled into your mortgage payment that is required for all conforming conventional loans 
loans that have down payments of less than 20%. Now, the good news is that the cost of PMI isn't earth shattering at all, and it actually varies based on your loan to value ratio. The difference in your monthly payment on a $200,000 home, should you put 5% instead of 20%, would be about $104 per month. However, you'd also get to expedite the purchase of your first home and or investment property while keeping more of your finances liquid to use for other expenses. Plus, once you do have 20% of your home paid off, you can always refinance into a conventional loan and would no longer have to pay the PMI. If you have further questions about real estate, please visit danielle-grosso.com. We all want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Joe Pellegrino, the founder of Legacy Minded Men and the creator of the That's My Dad movement. Joe is the author of several books. Welcome, Joe. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you so much, Joe. Pleasure to be here. So, Joe, there's so much that we hear today about single-parent homes and how two parents are not necessary any longer, especially the father. What would you say to that? All we need to do is go to the data, which gives a clear answer to your question. Let me give you a few things. First of all, nearly 20 million children, that's 20% of all children, live in a single-parent home. 24 million children live absent from their biological father. Children with involved, loving fathers are significantly more likely to do well in school, have a healthy self-esteem, exhibit empathy and pro-social behavior, and avoid high-risk behaviors such as drug use, truancy, and criminal activity compared to children who have uninvolved fathers. Studies on parent-child relationships and child well-being show that the love of a father is an important factor in predicting the social, emotional, and cognitive development and functioning of children and young adults. So, Joe, why is this so important? How does a father's influence differ from that of a mother's? Well, according to uh, Brett Copeland, who's a clinical psychologist in Tacoma, Washington, fathers and mothers have unique complementary roles in the home. Fathers encourage competition, independence, and achievement, while mothers encourage equity, security, and collaboration. Also, uh, W. Bradford Wilcox, who's a Uh, the director of the National Marriage Project and associate professor of sociology at the University of Virginia says that father's special input differs from mother's in at least four ways, playing, encouraging risk, protecting, and disciplining. You started something called the That's My Dad movement. Tell us a little bit about this program. The That's My Dad movement is designed to bring light to those men who are doing it right. You know, we hear so much about them doing it wrong. We want to talk about the men who are doing it right. So these are not only fathers, but grandfathers as well as mentors. These men have made the sacrifice necessary in order to invest in their kids, their grandkids, or child they're mentoring. Real heroes in my book, Joan. Joe, this is such important work, and it's really needed today. What do you hope to accomplish through this effort? We know that too many men have gotten it wrong, and, and and the statistics just absolutely just speak boldly to that. But we want to focus on the men who've gotten it right. Our hope is to bring awareness to the power of a good dad or engaged man in the life of our kids. It truly does make a difference. And every man can rewrite their legacy starting now. It doesn't matter where they've been. It doesn't matter what they've done. Right now, they can choose to be a a really strong man, a strong leader, and lead the next generation. Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about Joe and his work, you can visit that'smydadmovement.org. We'll be right back. Does the world seem a little off lately? Well, let's do something together to change that. Hi, I'm Mary Battaglia, a certified clinical hypnosis practitioner in Oradell, New Jersey. 
and hypnosis, creating positive intentions can be empowering and life-changing. Each of us can make a difference and impact the world positively. Let's create collective positive thoughts and send them together out to the world with a loving intention. So take a deep breath in, and as you exhale, connect to love in your heart and say out loud, I send love to the world. Now feel it. Now take another deep breath in, and as you release it, say out loud, I send a big hug to the world. Feel yourself giving the hug. Feel how beautiful that feels. You just made a difference sending love out to the world. I'm Mary Battaglia, a certified clinical hypnosis practitioner, and you can find more information about me and hypnosis at MetroHypnosisCenter.com. Soul by Rain is produced from various seed flowers. Its primary ingredients hail from the black cumin seed and the black raspberry seed. These two combine with Chardonnay grapeseed Nutriflower to provide a powerful antioxidant barrier against the devastating effects of stress. Soul by Rain has been hailed as one of the most important anti-aging antioxidants ever discovered. Soul is an anti-inflammatory and it helps prevent and repair radical damages for a healthier heart. Get your soul by calling your Rain partner, Elmina Ziza, at 973-722-1154. joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. While on the site, listen to Pastures on Demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.